In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today in the Gospel reading, we read the story of when uh, Christ was passing by, and he saw this uh, funeral of the son of a widow. And uh, he had compassion on the widow, and he raised her son from the dead. And after he raised him from the dead, it says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And so th the widow and the people and everybody there could see that this was uh, a ministry coming from God. This was a demonstration of the love of God toward his people because he came and he performed this miracle for the sake of this widow and for the sake of this young man that he raised him from the dead and the people said that he is a great prophet and that this is a sign of God's presence with his people that God is present with us that God is not simply far away in heaven somewhere but that God is present he is visiting us he is with us and he is evidence of his visitation is his compassion is his love that he is showing to us and oftentimes in our life we we need to have this kind of this experience and this feeling that God is with us that God is visiting us that God is present and here and and not distant or far away so I want to speak briefly about what are some of the ways that God visits us on a regular basis that maybe sometimes we don't pay attention to. And so for this reason, we kind of feel like he's maybe far away from us. How is it that God visits us? The first way that God visits us is by raising us from the dead. Just as he physically raised the widow's son from the dead, so also he raises us from the dead. It says about this young man, it says, Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. This is the same thing that Christ says to each one of us when he says, I say to you, arise. He wants us to arise. He wants us to not stay and remain in the same place that we are, but he wants us to arise. When we are born into the world, we are born into death, and we are born into corruption, and we are born in sin and defilement and wickedness. But in our baptism, we are raised from the dead. We are raised and made to be alive. And this power of the resurrection works in us, not only just on that one day, but works every day when God is asking us to arise. That every time we rise in the morning, God is saying, arise, arise, I'm transforming you, right? I'm raising you from the dead. God has granted us the gift of salvation. This is the greatest gift that God can give. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes we don't pay attention to this gift. We take for granted this gift. To those of us who were baptized as infants and we don't even remember it, and all of our lives we spent in the church, maybe we take for granted that this baptism was truly is what gave me salvation. And I focus so much in my life about asking God for other things and focusing on other things and maybe ignoring the, I, the fact that the greatest gift that I can receive from God, He's already given to me. Maybe I wish I you know, uh, I, uh, other aspects in my life were different. Maybe I wish I had a different job or a different spouse or a different city that I live in or a different whatever. But all these things are, are secondary to the gift that God has given us and that demonstrates that he has visited us, that he is with us, is that he has granted us salvation to live with him for eternity. The second way that God has visited us is that he comes to share in our sorrows. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came and he was personally experiencing all of the sorrows that we experience, all the grief that we experience, all of the, 
the, the, the pain and the rejection that we've ever experienced, he has experienced it and more. This is another way that he visits us. Is he comes to our level and in our place and he says, I'm going to experience with you everything that you experience so that you see how much I love you. You see how much I care about you. I'm not preaching to you from heaven, but I came down from heaven to be with you. The best counselor is one that has personal experience. If you ever gone to speak with someone as a counselor who, who would share with you their own experience, it's one thing when we share experience from like the textbooks and we say this is what they say and this is how it should be and these are these theories about this and this and this is the theoretical view of something versus I'm sharing with you from my personal experience, this is what I myself have passed through. This is what I myself have experienced. And so when I tell it to you, it, it takes on a different dimension, a different type of reality, that this is true, this is really true. When Christ speaks to us about comfort, he speaks to us about his own comfort that he received during the time of his greatest suffering. So here, Christ is saying, I'm carrying your burdens for you. I want to carry your burdens. The reason that oftentimes our burdens are not carried is not because Christ is not offering to carry them. It's because he is the last one we think of to carry our burdens. We try to carry, we try to find any other means to carry our burdens. We try to find other people to carry our burdens. We try to figure out a solution to our burdens and our problems and so many things apart from him. In the Old Testament, whenever God was offering to his people, Israel, and he told them, I will be your defender. I will be the one to protect you from your enemies. I will be the one to, to guard you from destruction. And yet the people didn't believe him. They didn't obey him. They went after idols and worshiped them. And then when they were in trouble and they needed some kind of help because their enemies were coming to destroy them, instead of going to God for this, what did they do? They went to other nations. They went to other nations to them and says, come and join an ally with us so you can help us to defend against our enemies. And so because they, they did this, they didn't have any victory. They didn't, they didn't win. They didn't succeed. They didn't conquer. <clears throat> but instead that they were destroyed. God is coming to us saying, I'm sharing with you. I want to participate in the fight with you. Whenever you are struggling with sin, whenever you're struggling with temptation, come and call out to me and I will give you strength. Whenever you're feeling uh, downtrodden, whenever you're feeling anxious, come and call to me and I will give you comfort. This is what he is saying. He has come to visit us. His visitation to us was not simply an event that happened thousands of years ago and it ended. His visitation continues. The work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in us continues to exist and to live inside of us. So this is the second way that God has visited his people. A third way that God has visited us is by healing our diseases. It says in Mark chapter 1, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. I am willing, be cleansed. And all it took was this leper to go to Christ, and he asked with sincerity of heart and with faith, and he asked him, You can make me clean. He said, If you are willing. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And certainly Christ was willing and he was made clean. Now, we do not know the mind of God. And we do not know why in some cases he allows for some people to be healed and in other times it is not. But if we have faith and we believe that Christ can heal, that simply being in his presence is a healing, is a healing influence. You know, many people have you know, psychological issues or emotional issues or issues that are very difficult to deal with based on things that have happened to them in their past. Christ is saying what? Just come and be in my presence. 
When we stand in the presence of God repeatedly, when we, when we pour our heart out to God repeatedly, this is the best medicine. This is the best counselor. This is the best way for me to be transformed and changed and to feel like my, my spirits are lifted that gives me hope. If any of us who has experienced truly life looks at what is the best that life has to offer me, we might be very disappointed. You know, when we are young and we have kind of um, idealistic view of the world and of what our goals are and our plans are in the world and what we want to accomplish and the things that we want to do, we m maybe have a lot of hope in this world. We have a lot of hope of what I can accomplish here, what I can do, what my life can be like. But oftentimes when we get a little older and we begin to experience really what is life really offering, what is in this life, what is the kind of pain and suffering we experience in this life, that we become a bit disillusioned and disappointed with it. We say, is, is this place really as good as I thought? Is this place really as wonderful as I thought? Is there really so much opportunity here as I thought? What is the outcome? What is the end of everyone? Is this life really full of so much joy and happiness? What is the source of joy and happiness? Is it found here or is it found in God alone? And as we begin to go through various struggles and various sufferings in the world, maybe our, our mind begins to change from focusing on finding that kind of comfort in the world to trying to find it somewhere else. And the question is, where is it? God is saying, I have come to offer you this comfort. I've come to offer you this healing. If you are a leper, I'm touching you so that you can be healed. I'm touching you so you can see that I am the source of healing, that I am the source of comfort, that I am the source of good things. And for those of us who identify him and we see him, that he is indeed visiting us, that he is indeed with us on a daily basis, and that we call out to him for comfort, that he is the only source of comfort, then we are healed from our disappointments. Then we are healed from our anger. Then we are healed from our anxieties. We are healed from the fear of the future that maybe we carry with us because we see that God is the answer. God is the solution. He is the one who comforts me and is with me at all times. The fourth way that God visits us is by showing us compassion. In John chapter 11, it says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. This is speaking about Lazarus. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, when he died. And he came to Mary and Martha and he saw them so upset and they were all weeping. And so he asked, Where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. What does this mean even that Jesus could weep? Does it mean that he was weeping because he, you know, was so upset that Lazarus had died? Actually, in the eyes of God, Lazarus didn't even die. Lazarus was still alive. He still saw Lazarus alive. He didn't feel any personal loss because Lazarus had been dead. That's maybe how his sisters felt. They felt like we want our brother to be with us. So I'm upset that he has died. I want him to be with us. But God didn't feel this way. He was, not, he was not upset because he died. He was sorrowful to see how everyone else was sorrowful. When he, sees the, when he sees the pain and suffering of people, God is not delighted in this. Maybe he allows this because he knows that this is oftentimes for our good in some way. But it doesn't mean that he enjoys seeing us suffer. No parent wants to see their child suffer. Even when they allow them to suffer, to teach them a lesson, this is not joyful for a parent. This is a necessity. This is a responsibility. This is something that we have to do. But it doesn't mean that this is delightful. This isn't something that we like. God does not enjoy seeing us suffer or in pain. And he shows us compassion. He shows even here compassion by raising Lazarus from the dead. But even more by just showing his, his emotion. When it says that he wept, how did he really feel about Mary and Martha? 
How did he really feel about them? How much did he care about them? So he's attentive to our suffering. He is not cold or indifferent. When, when we say God visits us, he visits us to give us compassion, to give us empathy. He doesn't, he doesn't visit us simply to give us commandments and to give us direction and guidance. But he also shows us love and compassion. The fifth way that God defends the sinner, or that God visits the people, is by defending the sinner. When God saw, when Christ saw the woman who was caught in adultery, and everyone wanted to stone her, He says, "What?" It says, "When so when they continued asking Him, He raised Himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So all of these Pharisees and all these self-righteous people that felt like this woman who fell into adultery should be destroyed, should be stoned, should be killed. And yet Christ, who is the one who is the most holy out of all of them, he is the one that had compassion on her. He is the one who defended her in front of uh, the other people. He was the one who was the most quick to forgive. He was the one that was most quick to, to defend that woman, even though maybe she didn't deserve defending. Maybe she didn't deserve, maybe she was guilty. She in fact had committed this crime. So according to the law, she should be stoned. And yet Christ said, no, whoever of, of you is the first, uh, who is without sin, should be the one to throw the stone first. Pointing the finger back at us. You know, it's easy for us to judge others when we are blinded to our own sin. But when we see our sin clearly, cannot judge another person. Because I deserve this judgment first and before anyone else. I'm the one that deserved this judgment. If God is to judge, let God be the judge. If God is going to condemn, let God condemn this person. But I cannot condemn. I can say this action is wrong, what this woman did, but I cannot be the one to stone her. Let God be the one to decide what happens to her. He defended her. He saw in her heart a heart of repentance and that she truly did repent and, 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 and want to change. And so he offered forgiveness to her and he defended her. Another way that God visits us is by making us holy. In Colossians 1, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He's saying what? We were once alienated. We were once enemies of God. We were once completely separated from God and our mind was wicked and in every way we were living in darkness. And yet when he came, he reconciled us in the body of his flesh. So through his death on the cross, he reconciled us again to God. And now he, he transformed us and washed us and cleansed us and presented us to the Father and say, these are your children who are now holy and pure in your sight. This is what God does to us. This is how God changes us. This um, transformation is to transform us to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. This transformation is to make us like Christ. This transformation is to make us pure and holy. And this is a work of God that he does. This isn't, <coughs> this isn't an act of pure self-will. This, is, this isn't because I've decided that I want to live a godly life and so through my self-will, I will choose every good choice and I will make every good decision and I will have every pure thought simply because I have decided that this is how I want to live. This is not just an act of man. This is not just me deciding I want to live differently. Anyone who's ever struggled with a sin uh, for the long term knows that it's not so easy simply to just stop committing a sin that we have been struggling with for years and years. Even when we are completely convinced 
that I want to stop this sin. Even when we regret every single time we, co- we fall into this sin, and yet despite this, we still find it difficult to stop. This is an act of God, the act of the Spirit working in us to transform us, to change us, what? To reconcile us to God, to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. And that even when we struggle for so long against sin, and in the end we never completely overcome it, and yet still in the eyes of God we are pure because Christ has covered us, because we are in Christ, because it is through Christ that we are made pure and and blameless and holy in the eyes of God. So God makes us holy. In the work of Christ, when he came and visited us, he came to reconcile us and to present us holy to the Father. The seventh way that God visits his people is by protecting us from the enemy. In Psalm 138, it says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Saying, you do not have to fight your battles alone. You are not alone in your battles. The, the Bible makes it very clear that we are fighting a war against enemies that are invi- in, invisible, that are spiritual, that are extremely powerful, far more powerful than us. You know, principalities and powers and dominions. Like all of these enemies, right? The, en- the devil who is waging war against us, who is like a, a roaring r- lion waiting to see whom he may devour. Right? This is how the Bible p- paints the picture of, of the enemies that we fight against. And yet he was saying what? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. So we are not left alone in the midst of this world to fight our battles. When God visits us, he is with us. He accompanies us. He is beside us. He is our companion in our, in our day-to-day life, our companion in our battles and the struggles that we have, both the spiritual battles and the physical battles, both the invisible spiritual enemies and the physical enemies that are in our life. He is our protector. He is our guardian. So again, when we are facing these kinds of struggles, who do we turn to for help? Do we turn to the one who protects us from our enemy or do we turn to some other source of protection? Finally, <coughs> the last way that we'll speak about the way that God has visited us is that he loves us despite of our sins. In Matthew 23, when Christ is lamenting the state of Israel, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He says, what, I want to gather you. If you've ever seen a picture of, uh, of, of like a hen with the chicks under her wings, like she wants to protect her children. This is, this is the example here that Christ is giving. He's saying, I want to protect you. And, and my, uh, my desire to protect you has nothing to do with your merit. It has nothing to do with how much good stuff you've done. I want to protect you simply because you are my children. I want to protect you. So God is here saying, what, I, I, I love you despite of what you've done. Right? Any parent that loves their children, loves their children despite of what they've done, not because of what they've done. If we were to love our children because of what they've done, this would be a disaster. Okay? We, we love our children because they are our children. We love our children because that is in our nature to love them, not because they have done such good. And this is the way that God loves us. He loves us because of who he is, not because of what we have done. So he loves us despite of our sins. And this is one of the ways that the devil seeks to destroy us is by making us think that God will only love us when we are good. 
that God will only love us when we do good things. This makes us ashamed even of admitting our sins because we feel like, well, if I'm a sinner, how is it that God will love me? If I'm a sinner, how is it that God will forgive me? How will he accept me? When in fact what Christ said is the opposite. He said, admit your sin, confess your sins, and then I will, I will, I will, I will forgive you of your sins. This is not, has nothing to do with the love of God. Right? God wants us to know and to see how much he loves us and he is with us all of the time. So in conclusion, we spoke about eight points. How is it that God has visited his people? The first one is he raises us from the dead. He grants us salvation. He grants us to be with him in eternal life, not separated from him. The second is that he shares our sorrows. He doesn't speak to us from a distant or cold perspective about the, the pains that we feel, but he himself has experienced all of the pain that we have felt in this world. He heals our diseases, our psychological, our emotional, all these, all these mental and emotional problems and, 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 and struggles that we have throughout our life. He comes to heal us. He grants us comfort. He wants us to feel that he is the rock, that he is the, the, he, he, there is safety in him, that even though there is nothing safe in this world and this world is fu full of disappointments and danger, and yet in him there is no danger. In him there is only comfort and joy. He shows compassion on us. He, he doesn't want us to be in pain. He, d he might allow it, but doesn't mean he enjoys it. He shows compassion. He wants to grant us some consolation, some comfort in our lives. He defends us when we sin. He doesn't condemn us for the sins that we commit, but instead he wants to defend us and restore us again. He makes us holy, that even though we are wicked and sinful and come into this world in this state, but that's not what he wants. The Holy Spirit is transforming us, is changing us to be uh, according to his will and to hate sin as he hates it. He protects us from the enemy. He protects us from, from all of the, the attacks of the enemy, whether our physical enemies or our spiritual enemies that are seeking to destroy us. And then finally, he loves us despite of our sins. He doesn't love us because we are good. He loves us because he is good. So may God grant us that we see with our eyes the visitation of the Lord in our life every single day. And that through this visitation, we feel comforted by God. We feel joyful. We take our minds off of the stresses and the anxieties of life. And we focus more on the one who has conquered these stresses and conquered these anxieties and granted us ultimate victory in the Lord for the rest of our life and eternity. And glory be to God forever. Amen.